What's up, everybody? My name is Anasi Tajay. And I'm Shaka Bimba. And welcome back to the Real Film Podcast, a moving picture podcast where we give you everything that's going on in the film, TV, music, video, commercial industry. Um, Before we jump in our topics today, you know, we got to do that usual. We want to make sure you're following us on all the socials and subscribing to our YouTube channel, The Rise Network, for our full-length episodes and follow us on Spotify. If you just want a couple clips for a couple of topics like Malcolm Marie, King of Staten Island, One Night in Miami, follow us at The Real Phone Pod and subscribe to the channel, like on YouTube. But for the socials, follow us at The Real Phone Pod, like our Facebook page, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, so forth. Leave a banner in the sky if you got some suggestions for us. Shoot us a DM, leave a comment. Tell us what you like or don't like. We're always, always willing to evolve and take in your considerations. Well, without further ado, you ready, Shaka? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Starting off, we're going to keep it with starting off. We got our what's hot category and a couple of things have dropped. And we got some notations because Twitter was kind of like going going in a bit of a debate on some of these news things. We're going to start with Godzilla versus King Kong. So if you don't know, Godzilla versus King Kong trailer has dropped. Um, King Kong... Dang, how long have King Kong movies and Godzilla movies been out? They've been out since like the 50s, right? At least King Kong, right? No, I know it's been a while. You should have had this prepared. See, this is be the host. You have no information. What is your title? I'm sorry. What's your title again? I'm color. Co-host. I'm color. No. Your title. I'm color commentator. I just no. add a little spice to everything. <laughs> I add antidotes. Co-host <laughs> is in your commentary. So you're supposed to be just as paired, but whatever. Without further ado, it says Godzilla vs. King Kong is set to be released March 31st in 2021. And the summary of the film is Fearsome Monster, Godzilla, and King Kong square up. <laughs> square off. <laughs> square up. <laughs> square off in an epic battle for ages. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Fierce of Monsters, Godzilla, and King Kong square off in the Hey, I'll just imagine it. Like the marketing department told us to square up. Like, what do people would say? Which one would go crazy? <laughs> oh my God. Let me finish, bro. Let me finish. First of Monsters, Godzilla, and King Kong square off. In an epic battle for the ages, while humanity looks to wipe out both the creatures and take back the planet once and for all. It is starring Millie Bobby Brown, Julianne Denson, Alexander Skarsgård, and Kyle Chandler, and many more. If you don't know, the last Godzilla movie came out in uh, 2019, Godzilla, King of, King of the Monsters. And then you also got Kong Skull Island came out in 2017. So this is kind of like our third chapter bringing both of these creatures beasts together for a big blowout um who, who you got money on first off who do you have money on Kong well, see, or look, Godzilla? see i watched the trailer again right and so I, they're obviously putting like kong as like the protagonist or like the character that you might supposed to... save them yeah because like i saw like the whole little connection he had with like the little girl and stuff uh-huh. but, all right so i'm thinking he's probably gonna win like yeah I don't want you to leave like you know feeling good because it's definitely one of those movies where it's like yeah. action blockbuster like you can't lose but you know what's gonna happen though he's gonna win against godzilla and they gonna shoot him down that's what's gonna happen <laughs> i saw that there was like other creatures though besides those two but it's remember- that like old times like old back in the day there were multiple creatures like from cons 
But know, in the trailer, I seen I seen Kong like swinging around dragons or something. Like nah, for there's like there's like some flying around like so. I'm thinking there might be. A I thought that was like past tense. Where they like team up together to save the world. Like watch that be the ending. Hey, that's the ending. They didn't dupe us with these trailers for sure. <laughs> Especially with that uh that summary saying they go square up. So I don't know what's going on. But honestly, if I had to put it down, I would like to say King Kong because like bro, one punch. That's it. That's it. But the bigger you are, it's like the bigger they are, the slower the punch takes to connect. <laughs> well, they can't have Pacquiao fists. Like, Mayweather fist and that size. That's unfair. But, <laughs> but now, if you think about it, though, like, if we're being real about honestly what would happen if they were real creatures, Godzilla's definitely winning. He's yes, breathing he breathes fire. fire. Yes. Bro, just what? Want- that. <laughs> that's all you got to do. It's over. It's over, literally. I saw in the trailer, like, he was breathing fire and, like, Kong was like coming at him, like it's like you know, cinematic. They're both charging. Uh-huh. How does that end? Like, is he gonna block the fire? <laughs> like, if you remember Kong Skull Island, remember like Kong almost died because he almost got burned down by Samuel Jackson. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll so, see. How- I don't know about that. Um, I would like to say Kong would win because he got like a, maybe like a little bit of humanity. Like he's because even on last film he was like there to protect some of the villagers from like the most wilder creatures and so mm-hmm. i think that's going to carry over into this film but if we're gonna be like if it was real like the most ruthless monsters which is godzilla would be the one to win in this scenario unfortunately like the heroes don't always win unfortunately they die we'll see we'll see it looks like it's gonna be some good action though so oh, i'm definitely intrigued for sure I mean, we'll see. We'll see. I'm looking forward to it. March 31st. That is like, what we got like two months away from that. Um, maybe we'll see a couple more like promos for it. You know, you know, it just might surprise us. We'll see. But besides that, moving along in our next What's Hot News, John Boega and Robert De Niro team up for a new Netflix film, The Formula. So I don't know about y'all, but I'm a huge fan of Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro, especially after his uh, film A Bronx Tale. Remember that movie? Do you know that movie? A Bronx Tale. Yeah. Nah. Bron- okay. Uh, well, also one of the the main guy in the Bronx Tale, like he ended up going to jail for like some robbery case years ago. But whatever. That's neither. I know there's some of you out there that know him from Meet the Fockers. If you only know Robert De Niro from Meet, from the, Meet the, the Fockers. <laughs> That that's trash. If that's oh, the only way you know him, that's pretty that's pretty sad. It's pretty sad. Um, but anywho, the story follows a Formula One racing prodigy who is forced to become a getaway driver to save the only family he has left. Um, the project came together by Rosenthal and Welsh's overall deal with Netflix and Jason Michael Behrman, the executive producer, under Buppy Productions and Imperium Walker as the co-producers. So it's not too many details. Um, we just know that, like, of course, John Mega just starred in Steve McQueen's acclaimed anthology series. And then, you know, you know Robert De Niro's track record of film and television. So of it'd be course. interesting to see these two individuals come up, come together. I mean, both of them had works under Netflix before. You know, you got, like, Robert De Niro for The Irishman, John uh, Boyega for Imperial Dreams and so forth. But I've never really kind of thought about them being together uh like for the screen for big screen so it'd be interesting to see what do yeah, you think? also to uh what's his name gerald mcmurray the guy from bernie sands is directing this movie uh 
Yeah, there's not a lot of details at all. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how this goes. Uh, I think we're going to learn a lot more as things progress. So, I mean, something to keep an eye on. Is this like his second movie, um, The Burning Sands Creator? Uh, I don't think so. I think he has other ones. Mm. I'm pretty sure he does. Why? (laughs) I don't know. I just, I don't know. I I mean, Burning Sands was such a... Movie. It was controversial. Yeah, that was so controversial. So it'd be interesting to see, like, like literally, I wasn't aware of anything else he had done outside of like uh, Burning Sand. So it'd be interesting to see what he's got next coming about. Yeah. So he, uh, yeah, because he was uh, the director of the first Purge. Uh, that was oh, yeah. his. Burning Sands was his first like feature film. Then it was the first Purge, and he did like an episode from the Twilight Zone. So okay. Yeah. The new the Twilight Zone revamp. You know what episode? Uh, episode. It's called Replay. I don't know. Oh, he called. did that one. Oh, wow. Okay. Are you a Twilight Zone fan? I am a Twilight Zone. I'm a. I'm like a diehard Twilight Zone fan. Um, the classic though. The remake is kind of like eh. Mm, the classics. <laughs> the classic. No, for real. When I was a kid, Twilight Zone used to scare the living shit out of me when I was I a kid. I could see that. I could see like, that. Like the episode with like these people, they thought they were like stuck in like this, you know, turn like this uh, circle environment where there was like no way to get out of it, and they thought they were gonna like die and everything like that. Turns out they're dolls that are like stuck in the donation bin. That no, I've heard so about this. Creepy. So creepy, and then you got the one with the monster on the plane. Like they actually redid that in the new Twilight Zone, which wasn't. It actually wasn't that bad. They did it like a like a little rendition of it, which I actually really enjoyed. Um, but yeah, the replay one that got like Sanaya Lathan and some other kid, and it's just like the same shit. Like the we talked about like racial trauma of like somebody getting shot and killed by police or police tensions. That was yeah. in the replay. That was the replay one, and it was too much. Like I, even at the end, you thinking like, "Oh, hope," and it's like, "Oh, no, no hope." Okay. No, I could have said. No. But anyways, back to this. Uh, yeah, we'll see when we when we get more information about it. We'll definitely let you guys know. All right. In the horror news, if you don't know, now you know. Wrong Turn Seven is set to premiere in 2021, specifically today, January 28th. Um, allegedly it's only being distributed in theaters for this just one day. So unfortunately it's probably passed from you being able to see in theaters, but it'll be on your streaming, a streaming service near you. So like, of course, YouTube, VOD and so forth. The summary or synopsis of the film is despite warnings to stick to the Appalachian Trail, hikers stray off course and cross into inhabited land by a hidden community of dwellers who use deadly means to protect their way of life. Suddenly under siege, the friends seem headed to the point of no return unless one man can reach them in time. So yeah, that's the film. I mean, it's been like several years since the last wrong turn had came about. Um, the I'll last one. Th- you, bro. I'll be honest with you, bro. You just snuck this stuff in here. I've never seen a wrong turn. You've never I mean, seen a wrong turn. From that synopsis, it sounds questionable at best. Uh, <laughs> uh, bro, I've, I've I've probably seen like the first three ones are like the best ones. I'll be honest. Probably like the first one and the second one at most. But like, there's this is the seventh one. the uh, The last one that it came out was in 2014. Like this film franchise has been going on since like 2005 or 2004, I think. 
Well, congratulations yeah. to them. That's awesome. <laughs> it must not be that crazy. I've never heard of it. 2003. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was just, it's 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 pretty disgusting. It's one of them, like, gore type of horror movies. You know, like, you got to be able to have gore with purpose. And so this movie just is like, ew, it just makes you want to, don't eat while watching these movies. I'll say that. Because you just kind of, like, gross the whole time. And so that's probably why it wasn't a big sis. Storyline also was, it wasn't that great. I mean, like, it was just enough to be like, ew, this is gross. Oh, get out, get out, get out. But, you know, me. But, like, that's a lot of horror, horror movies. One, It reminds me, have you ever seen The Hills Have Eyes? Nope. <laughs> bro, you know my, like, bro. Oh, yeah. He did, oh, yeah. Person. Audience members, he doesn't watch scary movies or horror movies. So, don't do, recommend I just Don't, like, don't recommend bro, them to him. Look, don't recommend I just him. never understood the whole pay to get scared concept. Like, I'll watch it if it's... You go... Home. Have you ever been on a roller coaster? So, you paid for your heart to drop. No, see, a roller coaster is like an experience. It's so not, it's a horror movie. It's like an adrenaline rush. It's not like so. Serious. It's a horror movie. No, no, it's different. Because look, you get you get you pay somebody to literally whip you around the sky. No, no, no. See, after you go the roller coaster and go home, you're not still like jumping because you're scared of the roller coaster. You know, like, <laughs> a scary movie, like a scary enough movie. Like now, I gotta think about it when I go to bed tonight. It's like, all right, dude. Like, I want to be able to turn it off. If you just remind yourself that it's not real, then you should be straight, y'all. He ain't seen. He ain't seen Midsommar. He ain't seen Hereditary. Probably didn't even see Silas. And we talked about that today. Did you see Silas? Nope. <laughs> nope. All right. Nope. Well, I know. Talk about who didn't see what. <laughs> yeah. All right. I watched it though. I watched it though. Here we are. Let's now, move on to the next one, man. But ultimately, hold on, hold on. Ultimately, Wrong Turn 7 is out. If you are if you have been a fan or known about this franchise, movie franchise, uh, since you were a kid, make sure you check it out, support it any way you can, and give an honest review of it, you know? Do don't you work for them? Like, I, don't be one of those people where, you, you know, you, I saw the original ones and I didn't like well? it and then da, 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 da. No, give an honest review because I want to find out whether or not I want to watch the 7. Like, it looks like oh it'd be interesting, God. but it's like almost the same storyline every film so that's why i'm like i don't know if i'm gonna see the seventh one rush me one more time shaka rush me i want to more apologize time. for our uh, movie review being shorter because she had to put an ad out for what was it called shut up moving <laughs> along barry jenkins underground world film has been previewed and he had an exclusive interview with shadow act about kind of going into the depths of the experiences and the lives of enslaved people um, if you don't know with what I'm talking about, Barry Jenkins film. Sorry. Oh my god. TV gosh. series. It's not a it's not a TV series. The Underground Railroad? Is it a series? Oh my god. <laughs> it is a, it is a series. It is a series. It is a series. It is a series. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of podcast is this? <laughs> it's a web series. <laughs> what? It's a web series. Uh, no, it's, technically, it is because it's Amazon. So it's a web series, technically. Oh my, nah, it's a full series, guys. Don't let it's, her. It's the description of it is a, it's a web television limited series. It's on Amazon. You say web series, it makes it seem like it's like a YouTube. <laughs> Let's rating. be honest. How would you be able to access Amazon? You would have to no, access it through no, the no, internet. No. That's, like, that's like saying like The Handmaid's Tale is a web series. Like, I get it, it's on Hulu. But come on, relax. All right, relax. But no, Underground Railroad is an American historical 
fiction drama that will explore the lives of enslaved people. And I think the story is kind of like what what it would it be like if it was an actual like train, like a, like a legit underground robot that was meant with the created with the intentions of like freeing enslaved Bro, people. see, when I, was, I watched the trailer, right? And you guys should watch the trailer. There's like three of them. One of them, like specifically, it's like a like it shows them like in the actual train station. So like the whole time I'm thinking like this is like some kind of metaphor or something. No, they're actually like <laughs> I read the review, it's like no, there is actually an underground railroad. I'm like, all right, so this is interesting. Definitely interesting. Uh, I mean, I'm a fan of Barry Jenkins and I look forward to any and all that you know he's gonna do. Uh you know, <laughs> I I one of my favorite movies today by him is if Bill Street could talk. So and this- yeah down below i'm just more ex- it's crazy to think like the thing that makes me so excited about a barry chica's film is the composing like the soundtrack so i'm looking yeah. very much for that because like in each one of his movies like the music is it's the same person too i'm pretty sure yeah it's like the same uh dp james laxon it's like the whole crew coming back so mm-hmm. that's definitely interesting i know they started working on this before if bill street could talk mm-hmm. uh and they had to come back to this uh Let's see. In fact, speaking of the production, it says production on the series was a 116 day um, endeavor and was delayed by the coronavirus pandemic. There were only three days of production left before they had to uh, pause production because of the virus, which that kind of sucks to be like on day 113, three days left and then they have to stop. But mm-hmm. uh, it sounds like they're kind of pushed through and everything. So no, nah, man, like what do you think when you saw the trailers? I thought it was very much like an ethereal experience. Like I just felt myself just being able to be fully engrossed into the visuals. Like there was really based off the previews, there's really no dialogue, no nothing. You're literally just getting like these stylistic shots compiled together with great, you know, composition. And you're kind of just enthralled in the moment of like, you're not understanding what's going on or who these people are, but like you're intrigued to like learn more. It was very, um, it excites me. Um, the storyline kind of makes me a little weary. The idea of trying to create a piece where it says, you know, a piece where it's really, really about this train station, this under, this physical underground railroad. It makes me a little weary because of what could <laughs> transpire after it. But mm-hmm. I'm very much excited for this project. And honestly, Barry Jenkins has yet to disappoint me with his filmography and other work so even his short films tall enough you know so based off like the trailer too if you notice there's a lot of like like characters posing and so Mm -hmm. i saw in the interview he said like this show isn't about slavery it's about the character cora uh i think when we talk about slavery in a way we almost dehumanize the folks who were um enslaved against their will we almost draw them out of their personhood we assume the condition of being enslaved was the totality of their experience and the totality of the humanity. So like even based on like the trailer and him saying that, I feel like it's really gonna be like a intense character study, like a really like character driven plot line versus situation. He even mentioned how like slaves had occupations, like different slaves did different things and like they were kind of known by their occupation and stuff. They still found joy and comedy even though they were being severely oppressed, you know. Yeah. So, so that'd be uh, a great uh, exploration. So, I mean, yeah, so I feel like based on everything he's saying and stuff, it sounds like it'd be like a fresh take on like some things. I know it's based off of the book uh, of the same name. 
So he wanted to really like, you know, bring his own touch to it. So it'll be interesting to see like what he does with it. So yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. I look forward to it. Um, I know we got a little bit of a minute before it's released, so that's not too much of a big deal, but I think it'll be worth the wait. And I'm always, I think this is like his television. It's like a television debut, right? This is like his television debut. He's directed episodes for TV. This is his first. It's like first own project where he's produced, direct, and written pretty much. Yeah, because this is even supposed to be a film, I think. But he told the guy, like, if I'm going to do it, I need, like, you know, it to be 10 episodes. I want to really, like, be able to really dig into it. Mm. that makes sense because i could i was like i could have sworn this is supposed to be a movie a while back that's why i was like wait it's a, it's a show so that makes sense 10 episodes instead it says it is a limited series so i look forward to it and i'm definitely gonna keep uh keep my notifications on for when it does <laughs> drop on amazon prime keep in mind y'all like barry jenkins is very much like a visual and like a sensory type of filmmaker so it's like a lot of just awe in odd images and like composition to kind of you know amplify what you see i guess yeah, no doubt so, no doubt if you don't like stuff like that then this is may not be a series for you um moving along <laughs> <laughs> moving along queen latifah is back on to television and she is premiering in the equalizer show adaptation set to premiere on cbs february 7 2021 the synopsis is Robin McCall, an, an energetic woman with a mysterious background, uses her extensive skills to help those with nowhere else to return. McCall comes across to them, comes across to most as an average single mom who is quietly raising her teenage daughter. But to a trusted few, she is the equalizer, an anonymous guardian, guardian angel and defender of the downtrodden who also dogged in her pursuit of personal redemption. It's supposed to star Queen Latifah, Chris North, Liz Lapira, Adam Goldberg, and many other actors that you may have known for a couple of other works. Um, if you don't know who Chris North is, he's played in a couple of TV shows, specifically Sex and the City, The Good Wife, Law and Order, um, Adam Goldberg. He's played in a, a couple of shows as well and movies, you know, Beautiful Mind, The Hebrew Hammer, Days of Confused, and Saving Private Ryan. So I'm looking forward to this in regards to like, I, I am looking forward to checking out the pilot to see which direction they're going to start. Oh, also I got a shout out. Lorraine Toussaint is playing in it and Tori uh, Kittles. I didn't know that was his last name, but Lorraine Toussaint, she's played it into the Badlands. Badass, badass, badass. She's played in many other films and definitely, you know, command the screen. So like one of my favorite indie films, Fast Color, she starred in that as the mom. Middle of Nowhere, Selma, she's played in that. And then for, um, Tori Kittles, I'm sorry. He played in Colony, Drive to Cross Country, and Get Rich or Die Trying. So many, many great actors, well-known actors from several other projects. What's your thoughts of Queen Latifah playing this equalized role? So keep in mind, Denzel Washington was the equalizer in the film franchise. What's your take on Queen Latifah? You haven't, you haven't seen the films, right? I have seen the films. No, I've you all, haven't. I have seen all of the films. Okay, I thought we were talking the other day. You hadn't seen it. I was about to no, out you. Anyways, I've seen all the films. Like, all right, so like in the films, bro. Like, of course, Denzel has like his action and stuff, but they really sell it. Like, you know what I mean? Because obviously, Denzel's like up there in age. He can't really do no crazy stunts or anything. Not anymore. Not anymore. So a lot of it is more so just like, like hand stuff. Like a lot of like hand action. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like he's real quick <laughs> and stuff. You know, like he's not doing a lot of running and stuff. 
Mercedes the reason I bring this up, Russians, yeah, yeah, is because in this one, bro, in the trailer, they show like Queen Latifah doing a lot more like physical body stuff, and it's just like I don't know, bro. It's like we'll see, we'll see. But I hope it's way more like witty stuff and a lot less like physical action because like it's CBS, so like I feel like. If there is gonna be some wittiness to it, but a lot of CBS shows are, at least when they're action based, they're very action based. But also, too, like a CBS action show, like no knock against it, but like, look, when I watch my action, I'm used to the HBO, you know what I mean? No, no, no barriers, Game of Thrones. Like, we're just CB- talking about Viking. We'll CBS we'll is like that. home to SWAT with Shamar Moore and it's also home to like <laughs> Madam Secretary but then also got the offset of that where you got like uh, Bob and Abishola a lot of the, like be, po- be positive their comedies Man with a Plan I don't know I haven't heard of any of these uh- <laughs> these are fairly new shows and you don't watch shit like, you don't watch nothing you don't watch nothing so of I course do. you I'll haven't just, heard of it all right. All right. I did see they were advertising the pilot is going to be out uh, after the Super Bowl yeah, if I have, I'm thinking like that's an interesting time slot. Like, is that really a good time slot? I, I think guess it's like, actually a pretty good time slot. Like, if you yeah. want as many eyes on the screen as possible to give this show a chance, right after the Super Bowl is a good time slot. I feel like it's one of those things though where they'll get a lot of viewership because people will just have their TV on. Yes, you know what and, I mean? and <laughs> what if, they actually be watching. And if they're smart, if they're smart, they'll make sure those first few minutes are very engaging. Yeah, yeah. I mean, almost yeah. somebody needs to like die or something, or she needs to like. Do something crazy, like some real, like John Wick crazy, or like something like real, real intense in those matters of the like the first two three minutes of the episode. Because with that be. spot, you're gonna have the opposite of offset of uh, there's gonna be millions of people watching the channel and already having the channel on, so it's just gonna come on. But then you're gonna have also an influx of people who are not gonna watch it because they're gonna go out and celebrate. You know, I'm just saying, Chiefs win the Super Bowl. It's a wrap. I'm out. I'm win. out. I'm <laughs> out. Mahomes. So, I don't know. I mean, I haven't seen Queen Latifah in a lot of, like, action-based shows or movies. So, that's relatively interesting hey, for me to see. Not to be a hater, but it does give me a little bit of Proud Mary vibes. <laughs> if those of you don't know, Proud Mary had starred Taraji P. Henson. It was supposed to be, like, this badass kind of, like, assassin-type movie. Unfortunately, it, it did not it did not hit the marquee but you know I'm, it's, it'll be interesting to see queen latifah in this role because like i'm used to seeing her in a lot of rom-com so you got like last holiday beauty shop um bring it down the house um what else you got just right girls trip the only movie that i've seen her in that's kind of like high stakes is set it off and that was 1996 Man, and that amazing. wasn't even a a real like action-packed film you know yeah I think yeah. this is also a switch too, because lately she's been doing a lot of like musicals and like Broadway-ish type of productions, television productions and stuff. So to her to make this whole like action-based series, I feel like some of the dialogue or the plot lines are gonna be witty or comedic base. So we'll see. We'll see. All right. But that concludes our what's hot category. We're gonna just keep moving along to our keep it real segment. And today we're talking about series reboots and revivals. Are they necessary? Are they good? Or should we just leave these shows where they are? Um, 
So like a few right now we're living in the generation to where like a lot of the shows that we felt like didn't get the chance to really wrap up some storylines or didn't get the chance to really explore character arcs or wrap up character arcs like they should have or they were too freaking successful when they ended we were all really sad. Now we're in the day and age where like all these shows can be rebooted or revived on different networks. One big example is The Fresh Prince. Um, The Fresh Prince is being rebooted kind of. Or having a revival in a sense to where now instead of this mainly comedic based family show on what was it where did what network was it on do you know you don't remember probably bro it came out when i was little i don't know yeah nick at night (laughs) shut up (laughs) but like it was it was on a channel that was very much accessible to everybody now it's having a revival to where it's going to be a drama-based hour-long episodes on peacock tv so that's an example of like are they necessary? Is it something we want? Is it what we look forward to? I don't know. I feel like I've seen a few revivals and reboots in my generation, my lifetime. And I'm like, they could have left that where it was at. But then you get some shows where like, they really butchered the fuck out of like the season before like, like the show. So I think they need to do us, give us justice by giving us another chance to wrap up the storyline of these characters. What's your thoughts? Just on reboots as a whole? Just like, I think reboots as a whole. Are they necessary? Would Do you think they're necessary in the sense of like giving the audience what they want to wrap up certain storylines or should we just leave good film, good TV shows where they are? Now, so it really depends on like what the, the show is. Like from what I've experienced, like comedies or like shows that aren't like necessarily like super story driven mm-hmm. are always worse when they come back in a reboot. For one, a lot of times, like a show, if it's funny, it's because it like captures the moment. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Mm-hmm. Like, and so it's really hard to get that same vibe, especially if it's like five to ten years later. Like, it's a whole different like America. You know what I mean? Like, look, it's a whole yeah. new president. Like, yeah. it's a whole different like consciousness. Like Fuller House and Arrested Development. So, like, what about those? So, like with Fuller House, for example, that's more of like a a family show. So mm-hmm. they brought it back, and they came. They kept the same like. Uh, same vibe with the show mm-hmm. so they tried to like kind of go after a young a younger demographic mm-hmm. so that's kind of like i mean it had like five seasons right when it came back i personally would have liked to see them try to like capture the same demographic by like aging the show with the mm-hmm. older audience mm-hmm. but i mean what they did i guess kind of worked but it i think it's still like it's still like a sitcom with like the whole i think like laughing track audience no definitely that. That, that's the only yeah. thing that was weird is because like it's 20 it's 2020 now so seeing like a show like that it's kind I mean, of there are still shows out that, that do that, but I feel like there's an overwhelming p- amount of people who are like, I rather would not have it at yeah, all. Yeah, man, yeah. But even that show's different than Arrested Development. Arrested Development is way more of like the comedy. And so I know that one like failed when it came back due to a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. But also I just think that like, bro, like it already ran its course, you know? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. things like that are just hard to bring back. What I prefer is when they bring back shows that are way more like drama, especially if they never finished Mm-hmm. storyline you know what i mean mm-hmm. i was just thinking about a show the other day that like ended so abruptly and that was freaks and geeks so yeah. you know they just put freaks and geeks back on the sh- on the streaming platform i think it's hulu um because they had to be taken off but that was a show that literally you have like some of the like great actors to- of today or great writers comedic writers and actors of today participating <laughs> in that show and how it ended was so fucking like lackluster it literally ended off one of the characters like leaving, like left, like, re- like not even like ran away, but like ran away low key. 
because like one of them I think was gonna go to jail or something like that but if you don't know like what Fricks and Geeks is it was a show that came out in 1999 it was like set up during like the the 80s late 80s and it starred Linda Cardellini James Franco James uh Jason Segel John Francis Day like some really great comedic actors and I feel like that's one of the few shows where I'm like I could see you guys rebooting this or reviving this so we can finally have the completion of a story. So like if, if the intent is just to revive or reboot some so we can wrap a story, especially when it's inherently comedic, then it's a lot more engaging and necessary and desired. But when you have something like Fuller House, like I didn't necessarily get the, the sense of rebooting Fuller House. And I could be wrong, but it still felt very white. It felt white in the sense of like there's not a lot of diversity on the screen that's a white family <laughs> yeah like it's i didn't see like we're living in a day and age where like a lot of typical american families are multi-racial in a sense like someone's yeah, uh, someone's married to somebody else somebody has friends who are of def- ethnicities and race like and that that felt very much like they were had one worldview and stuck with that one worldview which made, I guess, made him successful for five seasons, but you have people like me who didn't even think to click on it, so. No, I mean, I feel like, I mean, it's obviously white family, so I didn't really watch, like, every episode to see, like, what all they were doing, but I mean. I, I saw know. a clip, and I remember when they were discussing it coming back out, it was going to focus on the oldest daughter and how, like, after her husband died, like, she came back for the support of her uncles. I was like, whoa, that could be really solid right there. There's, there's an opportunity right there, but they made the you know, like you said, the vibe is very much the same where it's like, it's a comedic, it's a laugh track, it's an audience, instead of making it like we talked about parenthood, where it's more drama-based, um, personal struggles, the emotional tolls of each character and so forth. And we didn't get that. And they had the opportunity to do that, especially with that storyline. Yeah, I feel you, I feel you. Some more movies that are coming out, I mean, shows, they're coming back with uh, reboots in 2021. Uh, Saved by the Bell. Saved by the Bell has already came out. It's it's successful and it's on Peacock TV where the Fresh Prince is going to do. That's crazy. Both reboots are on Pe- Peacock TV. New um, season. Uh, Darla, Jody. I never really watched this from MTV. Mm-hmm. Uh, Walker, Texas Rangers coming back. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Punky Brewster. Bro, this is super old. Uh, Some real old else? stuff. Ren and Stimpy. <laughs> one that I'm kind of like looking forward to because it's going to be interesting is the Rating to Exhale reboot. So that's going to be a, a 1996 film. 1995 film is being developed into a TV show for ABC by Lee Daniels. I'm interested in seeing that. This has been, what, almost 26 years after the film, pretty much? About 26 years after the film. So it'll be interesting to see, it, especially with Lee Daniels being a part of the project. Like, don't get me wrong. Lee Daniels be on the mark with producing shows and films and being a show, but like for like writing for a series, I don't know. I don't know. No basis for that. It it, it says that, you know, he's not set to, I don't know. Lee Daniels is fine. Don't let, hey, listen, audience, I don't know why she's tripping. Right for uh, the show, he's just the executive producer. So that's why I feel like it's an opportunity to really, okay, we're not gonna mess up too too much of like the culture value of this film, but it will be interesting to see a 1990 film being an adapted adapted into a television show in the 21st century. So, not the Man, century. before I was really before. interrupted for her to talk about waiting Excel. We don't need to give all the lists. All no, the there's lists. some more stuff, bro. Like uh, oh the Boondocks God. is coming back. That's oh yeah, really I'm excited big. for that. I'm excited for that. 
It's gonna uh, be weird without pops. Great. Hey, it, it is what it is, man. The show, nah, I'm not, I'm not gonna be nice. What the heck? <laughs> I was gonna say the show must go on, but nah, bro. Like seriously, bro. Like we still want the Boondocks. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They should have hired his son. We didn't want it. Nobody they should have hired his son because his son was potentially going to be the voice. But they like didn't bring him back for like a second interview. There's a whole story about that. You guys should go so check. So who it out. said to be the voice of Pops? Did they say know. it? I, mean, I don't know all the names. They said the grandma from Blackish should be, uh, it'd be like the grandma in the show, and she comes back after grand. She comes okay. back in the picture after granddad. <laughs> no, I'm being dead ass. I think that actually would kind of work. Like I would be very much interested in her playing that character. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yes, I know who you're talking about, bro. Just bring back somebody the voice Pops. Well, I mean, they already did. They already got somebody like the names out there. I don't have who is it. Who is that? I mean, I don't know. I don't I, look. I don't know voice actors like I know actors. Mm. It's some mm. some guy, man. Some guy. They also have McGruber coming back. I know some people like that, but also, bro, this is big. This is big. G Four TV is coming back. They put out like a little teaser on their on their Twitter pages. I know, honestly, doesn't care about this, but bro, as a kid, I watched a lot of G Four TV. So it warms my heart to see that, you know, this is coming back. They're even talking about Olivia Munn coming back to be like the host, which is really interesting. <laughs> Looks like where her career started. I know you know who Olivia Munn is, right? Nope. You know who Olivia Munn is? Nope. You know, I'm not good with name, Shaka. Stop trying to act surprised. You know who Aaron Rodgers is? Okay. Oh, okay. oh, I know who Olivia, Olivia Munn is. I told you I'm not good with names. I'm good with faces. And then you said Aaron Rodgers? No, nah, because I was going to like backtrack to him. Uh, <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback? Because they were like dating at some point. But anyways, um, uh, nah, bro. I mean, there's some stuff coming back. Uh, I personally, before we end this t- topic, how do you feel about reboots when it comes to like, or coming back with like movies? When they relaunch like franchises or like, when they like Tron, like Tron, for example, right? They brought that back. Mm-hmm. Or like... It really just depends, bro. Like if you're, it really depends. Like if you're just putting a new fresh set of, I don't know. Like sometimes like if you're just putting a fresher worldview on the same storyline, then it works. So like Blade Runner, yeah. it's very much, very much similar to the original storyline. It's just fresher, like characters in a world and more advanced. Like that's cool. Tron Legacy, just a, fresher rendition of it but then you got people who go so far left from the the front the original franchise to where it just feels uncomfortable so like i feel like it only necessarily it's only like truly successful if you're only putting a fresher take like in the sense of like making it more dazzling for modern day if you try to do something completely different like completely story dying character arts and all that then you might as well just leave it where it's at you like like the sci-fi where it's like we have new technology so we can do it better <laughs> yes 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 because like me watching blade runner there i can't do it because i'm like bro that's a motorola phone like <laughs> i can't do it that's also one of the biggest reasons why i really it's very hard for me to watch movies set in like the 80s in the 70s 80s or 90s because I'd be looking like, bro, I can't imagine living in a time where like I didn't have technology like that. Like, <laughs> I just can't connect bro. with it. That's how you know you're not watching something that's immersive, man. You should be like fully wrapped in. <laughs> nah, I don't know. It's just like those are like small places, but I, I per- like mainly with sci-fi. I feel like I'm okay with them, but when it comes to like dramas and stuff like that. It really just depends. Like, what it's like a black film that they're trying to do 
a remake of, and I was kind of like, "Hey, no, uh, coming to America is coming out." Yeah, uh, I, we've already talked about it on the pods. So we don't have to go into detail. About I'm that. nervous about that one. Like <laughs> well, I said, I'm just nervous. We'll see. We'll I'm see. <laughs> so, but no, I mean, Hollywood brings back movies all the time though, because that just makes money. You know what I'm saying? Like, also, I think it depends on how long ago it is. So, like, we have something that's like 20 plus years. It's kind of like we gonna mess with something that's 20 years old like with the whole new storyline in a sense that's like what i don't know (laughs) it makes me nervous it makes me very nervous because like if you're gonna also try and get the same actors for it like i'm i'm sorry a lot of these actors be aged they're not as like quick with it with like the movements the action movies they're not quick with the you know the jokes and the comedy (laughs) like it feels like like i'm being honest like when you take like a comedic movie from like 20 30 years ago and then you try to get the same actors to redo it now like i'm not gonna lie it feels like they be doing forced comedy like what's the what's that what's that snapchat thing the snap bap and bap. i'm like what and like y'all know what it <laughs> what? is what what are you talking like, about i'm i'm saying like in, in movies when they be doing the reboots they be like making it to where like these characters they're older now they don't know nothing about the younger generation i'm just like yeah <laughs> and they try to I'm waiting time about something specific. No, they trying like, to form comedy about the around the disconnect between the older and younger generation, and ultimately, it's not comedic when they do it. So it's kind of like, nah, don't do it. That's are how. They, are they aren't they bringing back Friday? They are, but that's been the talks for such a long time now. Like, so I don't even know if I believe that one. That's what I said. Like that's been, and Chris Tucker not coming back. Man, so, Chris Tucker needs to come back and bring back uh, Money Talks, too. <laughs> Chris Tucker is not coming back. He already said he's not coming back for it, I think. So I don't know what Chris Tucker is doing. But uh, anyways, man. Uh, yeah, reboots, man. I mean, it's about the money. It's about the money. It's really hit or miss. So, I mean, I'm looking forward to the Boondocks. Out of all, the, all the reboots, that's definitely the biggest one on my list. I'm definitely looking forward to the Boondocks one uh, the most. And then I'm keeping my eye open to the waiting to excel one because like it's gonna be something where they're gonna keep the original cast or it's like a whole new cast like what are they gonna do when the houston's not part of the project unfortunately like how's that gonna go and then you know coming to america ooh, i just got my fingers crossed with that one because i've been seeing the promo for it i'm like you don't want that to be like bad boys three but they clearly lost a step <laughs> wasn't bad actually like it really really wasn't bad like i actually really enjoyed bad boys 3 it's just it's no offense but like maybe i have it i saw tayana taylor's in this one and what and coming to america <laughs> and it's no offense to tayana taylor it's it's, just, she's about to be offensive <laughs> it's just they be using people from our generation who are just more so like black moguls and they're not necessarily like black actors or comedic actors yeah. that we all know and love. They use like moguls. So they're going to throw in like a Jordan Woods, a Tayana Taylor, or some other people who are just like very appeal wise. They look great, great musicians, great entrepreneurs in their own way. sell tickets, man. But they're just trying to pander to the younger audience. It's just like, it seems like a waste when you could really just be giving the opportunity to like our comedians and actors that we really rock vibe with. Hey, like I think I think the storyline is that even for coming to America, like his son, he had a son. Is that Rotimi? <laughs> no, I no, I don't know, no. And then Leslie Jones is supposed to play the mom of the alleged son that he didn't know he had. <laughs> and my thing is too, I didn't know 
in Coming to America, Eddie Murphy's character was out there sowing his oats. I thought he was focused on that one girl and that one girl only. So He's a king. But yeah, when he came to find a wife, when he came to America, I assumed he wasn't with nobody because he was always put in situations where his homie was like, hey, all this woman. You never saw Coming to Mexico? He ran that back at a couple countries. <laughs> He's like coming to Canada. <laughs> Part number two. <laughs> coming to South America. He went about 10 wives in that episode. You ain't seen those? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know why you're so tickled by your own joke right now. Bro, it's because he like was like head over heels for her. Doesn't mean we went to Africa and chilled out. Like his homies has like seven wives. He's like, all right. But in the movie, movie, when in the movie, they made it seem that way. They made it seem like he was just so focused on working at pretty much the knockoff McDonald's in her. Bro, he had girls pushing up on him left and right, and he was always rejecting them. So I just didn't know he was out here sowing his oats. I thought he was focused on her and only her. So that's why I kind of throw him out. And that was then, like 1995. No offense, no offense. He had a baby with Leslie Jones. What does that mean, honestly? It means Leslie Jones. Like, I did, out of all the women. The f- <laughs> I'm just playing. <laughs> no. it's like, Leslie Jones is like, very much a like a overly dramatic comedic person and like really every character they had in that movie in the original coming to america was like like freaking supermodels no personality type of characters then you got someone like leslie jones to play the mom you said you're trying to skate around right now (laughs) i'm not skating around i'm being so serious because like think about all the people that were like somewhat deemed who he should be with because of their looks or had no personality that no personality. They were like one, one face type characters. Like there was no layers to them. Then you got someone like Leslie Jones who like outside of film is like a multi-talented and very like a lot personality and energy wise individual. And then I know they're going to apply that same type of energy to this movie. So it's like Leslie Jones. And his character? <laughs> I mean, hey, man. I'm more worried about <laughs> the Rick Rosses of the world. That's the homie. But, like, you get too many celebrities oh, in there. They, didn't they shoot it at Rick Ross's house? Yeah, because he went and he charged him that bread. I seen him on Shannon Sharp's uh, podcast talking about he hey, he got paid. <laughs> I forgot man. what the actual price was. But, man. yeah, man. Hey, we should uh, get into our reviews, man. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, that concludes our Keeping it real segment about whether reboots and revival are necessary. Do we want them or should we leave them where they're at? But moving along, we have our Are You Still Watching segment. We're going to start off with Pete Davidson's film, King of Staten Island. If you don't know that film, that came out in 2020 and had premiered on Hulu. Um, So I'm going to give you a synopsis of it. King of Staten Island. Because I have a lot of notations in regards to this film. (laughs) Um, no, No offense, but the film had came out June 25th, 2020, um, and its synopsis is a semi-autobiographical comedy drama about Pete Davidson growing up in Staten Island, including losing his father during 9-11 and entering the world of stand, stand-up comedy. <laughs> Boy. Why you make that face? 
That's Pete Davidson's life. Bro, because that says that's the synopsis. That's the synopsis for the movie. Uh, that's not the movie. That's definitely that's his life. Because in the movie, uh, the characters, the dad even died. Died in life. a ho- Yeah, his dad died from like a hotel fire. Yeah. That's his life. I know that his dad passed away in 9-11 and then the comic, but it's just kind of like it's a semi. Okay, ultimately, this film centers on Pete Davis's character struggling with coping with depression, anxiety, and still grief after his father had died when he was seven years old in a hotel fire. And so ultimately, he's labeled a fuck up. He's a fuck up throughout the whole movie. He's a fuck up when it comes to, you know, being a good brother. Fuck up when it comes to being a good son. Fuck up when it comes to being a good friend. And he's a fuck up when it just comes to just possibly being a potential bay for some character in the film. Um, the movie is long as fuck. <laughs> long, long, long. Two hours and 17 minutes, folks. Two hours and 17 minutes. Um, I'm going to let Shaka give his review before I go into it because... I feel like I got a lot to say. All right. So before we go into like all the spoiler stuff, I'll say that, I mean, obviously this movie is, uh, as she mentioned, a semi, is it semi-biographical? Auto, yeah, semi-biographical. Because he wrote it too. He wrote yeah. and started it. So it's partially based on his life. Obviously, like, you know, the death of his father, stuff like that. Um, so obviously you kind of want to like, you know, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get this built-in like, intrigue you know especially if you already like pete davidson which i know like a lot of people do so there's already that kind you don't of like pete davidson you don't like because you said people do you just said you do you don't like i pete don't davidson? have it pete davidson's cool but i don't know since we're actually like fans of pete davidson like you know i, I don't have that much of an opinion on him. Mm-hmm. i kind of just know who he is you know i just know him from snl that's pretty much it so like you know so other people are really like him for his like stand-up and stuff like that like he has like real fans obviously he's a pretty big deal so like i think a lot of those people will come into this film already kind of like wanting to like it, you know? So I could see that. And also too, it's just like, it's an emotional topic. So you kind of wanted to give it like a chance. That being said, it definitely drags on like you're saying. And it's just like, it's one of those films where it's like, it's really hard to like the main character. So if you don't like the main character, it's really hard to like get through the film. You know what I mean? Cause you have to like but live with I don't with think I person. liked him until the last like 15, 20 minutes of the movie. So, like, that's going to be, like, the biggest hurdle, I think, for anybody trying to see this film. Um, that, and just, like, I mean, it's obviously a comedy, and it's real, like... Is it? Yeah, definitely dark humor, for sure. Um, it's definitely dark humor, yeah. But so, I, even, I've been watching honest, talking I about... I myself chuckling, like, twice, like, uh-huh. No, like, <laughs> it's definitely, like, Pete Davidson humor, you know what I'm saying? Like, you have to kind of be already, like, his type of stand-up. Also, too, with, uh, was it Judd Apatow? Mm-hmm. directed it it's kind of like up his lane of you know his style of stuff mixed with pete davis so it's like this weird blend where they kind of intersect so i don't know man it's like if the jokes hit for you and you like pete davis i can see how you would like it if the jokes don't hit and you don't like the main character it's definitely going to be a tough watch that's i think it's weird because like out of all of judd apatow's films i think this is the most this is one of the most lackluster ones like you have to keep in mind this is the man who's been a part of, he's, who has knocked up 40-year-old version, this is 40, attached to his name. So King of Staten Island just felt a little lackluster for me. And it, I think it was just mainly because it took too long for, I think it was a chunk of, it's like a smack dab in the middle of the movie where it's like an hour where it just felt like it took too long for Pete Davidson to realize he's a fucking fuck up. Like, nah, he knows from the beginning. <laughs> I think he knows from the beginning, but it took too long for him to realize I'm gonna fuck up and I should do something about it. Yeah, 
Like, I don't know if we can even say he did something about it because he was the only quote unquote way he did something about it is because he was forced to. He he had no nowhere to live. Did no, he do something no about friends. it? Is really the question. I would I would argue that he never did anything about it. That's what I'm saying. I don't know if he really did anything about it. Like he was forced, to, he was forced to get some of his shit together because he was required to. So the only way, spoiler. Spoiler. I mean, we're firmly in the spoilers now. The only way he was able to stay in the firehouse is because is he had to clean. So the only time we actually saw his character being fucking like, oh, he's doing, he's, he's getting his shit together is when he was at his responsibilities at the fire station, cleaning the trucks, cleaning the place. Like, literally, that's it. That's it. And I just felt like there were so many moments in the film where, like, they were trying to establish humor and it just felt very lackluster. <sighs> yeah, I think, I think, I think the times when the humor does shine through is when they're doing more like SNL kind of, you know, like situational, like gag type stuff. So, for example, like when he's like uh, at the fire station in the end and he's kind of like sleeping on the couch or whatever, and they kept waking him up with the water. I was you like the third, that was funny? No, but like the third time they did it, he's like the fire hose. So it's one of those things where it's like, it's like, it's like I'm supposed to laugh. And it's kind of like it's funny because they did it again. But it's like things like that where they're like really trying to like set up a joke. Every now and then those work. Another example of like I think something that actually did work was like um the fighting for like your tips at his job. They actually did like fight for like <laughs> that threw me off. I was like, they really are boxing for tips right now. But once again, that, that's like I a skit, like bro. It's like a skit from like Key and Peeler or like from like SNL. Like those type of situations work because it's like, all right, mm-hmm. this is a brand of comedy that like already like tested. You know what I mean? I think I think my I think the comedy that I got a lot included scenes with him and Ray where there were like a lot of more one on one scenes. I found myself chuckling more at like some of the witty shit that Ray's character would say to um, Pete Davidson's character throughout the film. That's that's where I found it a little bit more engaging and realistic. And honestly, I don't know if there's any character in this in this film that I actually really liked, I found them all to be very annoying. Like, very, very annoying. Like, the only person who gave me some sense of, hey, she's not too bad, is maybe his girlfriend in the end and the sister. Everybody else annoyed the fuck at me. Like, first off, the mom kept enabling him, immobilizing him. She allowed her son to dictate her decisions, and then she soon allowed her partner to dictate her decisions. Then with, you know, Ray, he seemed too, too, too demanding to kind of establish his presence in the mom's life in the mom's like household when like it was very clear he wasn't as present as he could be with his kids. So it's like you're trying to tell her to, you know, dictate her relationship with, one, with her kids, but you're not on one accord with your kids. P. Davidson's character, we've already talked about that. Then with his friends, his friends is all fuck ups. The only person who seemed to have a little bit of like sense was uh, the one from Hannah Montana. What's his name? Hannah Montana. What's his name? I never watched Hannah Montana, so I don't know you what never... you're talking about. Rico from Hannah Montana. What was his character? <laughs> well, that friend was the only one that since seemed to have some sort of kind of uh, Moseus Arias. He was Igor. That's mm-hmm. his character name. He was the only one that had seemed to have a little bit of sense, but he was also a fuck up too. Like they were all fuck ups. Like his sister was the only one, his sister and Kelsey. So Claire and Kelsey were kind of like the only characters where I'm like, they seem to be the only individuals with a little bit of sense, but every now and then they're, they're constantly being pulled into uh, Scott's bullshit. But that's real. Like a lot of times, even people with sensible 
you know, mindsets and actions and backgrounds are pulled into the drama and the chaos of people like Scott. Yeah, well, I think the major thing is just like you're saying, it's just like everybody's supposed to revolve around Scott. So, I mean, I, I can tell you say a lot of the characters are annoying. I've seen a lot of people also say, though, that the other characters are the more redeeming parts of the film. Like, for example, the first person you mentioned was Bill Burr. So that's Ray. Are you are you familiar with Bill Burr's like stand up? I have seen Bill Burr's stand up. He's actually pretty funny. Like, well, really he's funny. hilarious. Bill Burr is really easily funny. he's easily in my top five comedians all time. So like, he's when I hilarious. Seen, when I saw Bill Burr pop up on the screen, I was like really excited. And I think throughout throughout most of the film, he kind of is like a real dialed back version mm-hmm. of who Bill Burr is. Mm-hmm. So it was like okay, and like, it was like times where it was kind of funny, but like even like his character, somebody I really like. I think when he got sucked into like acting across or like you know um bouncing off of, like Pete Davidson's character, it kind of mm-hmm. just zapped all the all the Bill Burr for me. And so I think that kind of happens with a lot of characters where it's kind of like everyone's trying to match like the tone that Pete Davidson sets at this real like low-key, like dry humor. Like, I don't know, it kind of just stalls everybody out. So there's several times like when they're in conversation, like when the mom, Ray, and uh Claire, the sister? <laughs> no, and Pete Davidson. When they're arguing when he kicks her, when he right before she kicks him out of the house, and it's like mm-hmm. those three outside by the pool. Mm-hmm. That whole dialogue scene, that whole conversation is just super mm-hmm. dead and slow. Mm-hmm. Just a lot of situations like that, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like I said, I'm like they all annoy me and they all really fail to give me a lot of redeeming qualities. And I felt like it was just because it, if if it took too mo- too much time to focus on Scott, so you didn't have time to kind of see the redeeming qualities in the other characters, especially if they had been walking on eggshells around Scott's character for so much. Like they 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 even talked about Claire talked about how like she has manipulated her behavior, her dialogue because of Scott. And so I would have liked to explore some of that a little bit more, but I know it's to focus mainly on his character. Like it felt very much like, I felt very much like I'm supposed to be sympathetic with him being a fuck up because he's a dad, because of his dad. But it's also like, it's trying to play on the fact that like, don't feel bad for him because he's a fuck up. Like it just, it felt like too much. Well, I think too, in the beginning, it kind of started along this path where I think it would have been easier to feel bad for him. Like the very first scene is him in the car and he like closes his eyes. <laughs> like when we saw that, I was like, okay, I kind of could see like the tone of this movie. Mm-hmm. And then like, I mean, I should have known when he started saying like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But that was foreshadowing like he's going to make everything about himself. But that's a whole different story. But it went from that to like when they're all in the basement and like they're all making jokes. And they start talking about his dad. And like that yeah. felt really- Oh my god! Uh, yeah, <laughs> but that that when they were talking about his dad, it was like knock knock, who's there? Not your dad. I was like, <gasps> see, like no, see, like, that tone from like him in the car on the highway, closing his eyes to like mm-hmm. that. That was gonna set up a real like serious kind of dark humor, like mm-hmm. depiction of somebody that's really struggling. Mm-hmm. What I think it turned for me was like I was already kind of struggling to like Scott because he was already kind of doing the whole like what was me thing, but mm-hmm. it was like whatever. When he, like, decided to tattoo that kid, like, first of all, they started off the scene with, like, the Obama tattoo, which is funny. So I was already having a good time in that scene, whatever. When they actually tattooed the kid, I was like, all right, at this point, Scott has no redeemable qualities. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done with, bro. That was crazy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but also, that led to the moment where, like, we got introduced to a Bill Burr, and, like, 
that was, I think, the turning point of the film because we were no longer like looking at this guy that was struggling. It became a more about like everybody like, else around him. No, it became more of like let's find a way to give Scott a character arc to where he gets better. So now it became like, but did he get better? Did he? He get didn't better? get better. But look how they tried to like force so many scenes from around that part, like. Even like the scene with like his sister, right? He went from like him being mad at his sister for going to college and calling her selfish for leaving him to the very next scene. He's like, they're saying like, I love you, whatever. Yeah. It's like they're forcing a character arc, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Throughout the rest of the film. Because it took too much time. They're having to force the character arc in these shorter scenes because they took too much time focusing on just literally the simplicities of him being a fuck up. Like this is the smallest situations where he's a fuck up. It, I don't know. I don't know. Ultimately, watch hey. for yourself. See if you like it. Um, that's my hey. comment. <laughs> Before we go, to there's a couple other moments that I think were supposed to be funny that I was just like, "What, bro?" His back, the uh, Bill Burr, I was like, "Am I supposed to laugh?" I was just kind of mad. Like, I yo. was mad because like here's an opportunity where he could have been better. <laughs> he gave him the blank slate. He promised he wouldn't do it. And I thought, I literally thought, because we just had saw that bomb ass drawing he did, right? I thought we were about yeah. to actually see some fire, at, like a fire ass, like fireman tribute tattoo or something like that. Something. And then I saw this not multiple, multiple nonsense <laughs> on his back. Like I thought we're literally, I thought we were about to get one really good tattoo where it's gonna be like a homage to like a really detailed, nice homage to fireman. Who's that? Whatever. The only like nice tattoo was the half baked image <laughs> of his family and his dad and like the cloud like that was it i really looked at that and i was like what the fuck bro like this and then it's like, like i knew it was weird when he did like a bunch of sessions i was like why did he doing all these different sessions like he gave him a whole full back piece for his first tattoo i, I get it, it's not supposed to be realistic but it was just kind of like all right this is, this is outlandish this i thought maybe like it was just one tattoo he was working on he was trying to make sure it was like, it was like perfect <laughs> yes and then you saw this bullshit i'm like oh my god then she started crying when she saw the back like what yeah that didn't make sense it also didn't make sense how like he showed up at the fire station when he was homeless bro like, like looking for a place to stay like that was weird like i don't see how that would ever happen like if you, t- I don't know. I felt like how his mom, how we got his mom, like our perceptions of his mom in the early parts of the story. Lord, I felt like if he was someone's mom, I'm literally sleeping on on the streets. She, I could see her being a character because she already immobilized her son for so long. I could see her giving her, taking her son back in. I could that, that brings up another point. Like everybody enabled him the whole movie, and then at a certain point, it's like they all like were like tough luck, Scott. <laughs> It was like no like gradual. It was like a switch. And, there, like, it was, and it wasn't like there was just one major disrespectful outlandish thing he had done. That no, happened. no, because he had been doing a series of fuck up shit, and people were still immobilizing him. Yeah, it'd be it's different the same stuff. if like he had robbed. He had actually participated in the robbery. They found out about it, and they're like, "Nah, you're going too far." No, it was literally that one thing. Not one thing that was kind of like we all could collectively cannot immobilize you like enable in it i said immobilize enable you anymore like we all if anything it should have been the tattoo when he tattooed the kid's arm that should have been the last straw but then like bro look the scene when he comes back and his mom kicks him at the house and she like tells him like go outside for a second and she like shuts the door and his aunt's like laughing i was like 
she went from being a super softy to being a complete dick in a matter of two days. Like I was yes, like, yes, it didn't make any sense to me. Any sense to me? None. Then, and then I, then I think after a while, for how long, quote unquote, the son was gone and was making the shifts. Not once did she think, let me check up on him. Not once did she. Now, once was she put in a situation where she wanted to check on him and then she saw Ray and then she saw how they had grown or changed and then like later on they would come back to the idea of exploring a relationship. None of that happened. It all happened within the span of two minutes. Because some dude got shot at the... (laughs) That was the excuse though. Their excuse to all be in the same room together because some random dude that's like a gunshot wound. And like, I was like, okay. We're we're off the deep Somebody having a gunshot wound, they wouldn't like... At Staten Island, they really wouldn't like try to like get the dude help. Like niggas was just moving out of the but then he all of a sudden he showed his fireman badge. Oh, he's talking he's sitting in the waiting room. <laughs> now yes. I, I always wondered that if, if I was in the waiting room, like because movies always do that. I'm like, there's no way that's true. If I have a gunshot room, I'm sitting in the in the in the, in the lobby. Like, bro, come on, what is going on? What is going on? That was gross. I, I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it. Then you finally go back to the room and you see like all these empty beds. He yeah. could have been, been he could have been back there, bro. Nah, there's a lot of things like that. They was just kind of like, all right, all right. But <laughs> we gotta move along. We gotta move along. Yeah. We, will, we will keep ripping this movie movie to parts. Um, but that concludes our review of P. Davidson's. King of Staten Island. If you have not seen it, it was originally on Hulu, but now it's on HBO Max. Or if you have cable, it's on HBO. Be sure to check it out if you want to have your own perspectives about the film. We're going to move on to Netflix's latest release, and that is The White Tiger, starring Adarsh Gorva, Priyanka Chopra, and Rajkumar Rao. And that came out January 13, 2021. The synopsis is an amb- ambitious Indian driver uses his wit and cunning cutting skills to escape from poverty and rise up to the top. Uh, that's pretty much, that's really, really short in regards to what I would say the film is about. I really think it's like a film that largely centers on someone just being like born into poverty and realize, and falling into this same situation where a lot of like this, in the Indian community falls into of being a servants to these wealthy people. So you kind of like fall into the trap of being abused manipulated and so forth as a means to just kind of get like a just a breath out of your daily pot and poverty situations um i really enjoyed the movie i i'm not gonna lie i enjoyed the movie it was just incredibly long <laughs> that's my those are my two things today in regards to the movie reviews they're like really long films um it was interesting to see priyanka chopra in this film um I was not expecting her to play this role, but I think she did really well. What What's your take on the film, Shaka? Yeah, Before we so, go too much into the details. Yeah, so I think it's, I mean, yeah, it's definitely about the caste system mm-hmm. and India. And they even, like, show how, like, even, like, lower classes mm-hmm. uh, within, like, this caste system, like, there's, like, a difference between being, like, poor and being, like, living on the streets for it. And so, like, they're just showing, like, how he had to work up from that uh and if like, you don't know what the caste system is i feel like i'm so glad i took my religion class in college because i do i knew about the caste system because they they'll briefly touch on like the background of the caste system how, how like it was multiple like cast like it was like several and now it's just two in regards to what the 
Indian community believes in. And the belief is you're automatically born into a caste system. And so this cat, either you're at the, at the top or you're at the below. And so you're automatically born into a caste system. And then back then, or even now, some believe you are, you have no way to get out of that caste system. If you're born in it, you die in that caste system. So that's throw that out there. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it's definitely like that is the whole like servant like uh mentality mm-hmm. it was definitely uh had a lot to do with that i mean it was a complete rags to riches story it's like textbook rags to riches um so it's i mean it's definitely redeeming in that way like it's filled that it. hold up one second bro So yeah, I mean, it being about like the 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 you know social classes and stuff like that was definitely interesting. I think also presented like a, a real like ground level view of like living on the streets of India and just kind of like how like even if you work for these people at this hotel, you have to go live down in the garage. So it's like a lot of things like that. You just got to see like people how they interact. You got to see like Western culture versus this culture. Like how they feel about it. So there's a lot of like learning that you can do uh, by watching the film. I don't think it was like super um, hard to get through. Like even mm-hmm. a lot of it was not even in English. Yeah, it was, it was easy to read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, that's my overall take. Definitely watch it. Um, I don't know if you have anything else before we get into like some nitty gritty stuff. Jeez. Oh my no. god. <laughs> no, I just that was <laughs> one of those films that was a great way of showing like the casteism um, and. The impoverished in India, and also like how they use the term democracy. Um, and so, we'll, I guess we'll dive into that in the next thing. But democracy, like we think, we I think a lot of us Westerners, um, so like Americans and so forth, colonized folks, um, we have this idea of what democracy is. So it's like this really put together, well-fashioned society. While in India, like though they have democracy, they still have a lot of corruption. They still have a lot of like simple things that are not necessarily take care of. So like no sewer system, you know, no means of, you know, shoot, even traffic, no means of really taking care of the homeless, making sure people are okay. Shoot, when people do get hit on the roads, like wh- what happens? Like hospitals, you know, what happens in the poverty when, you know, disease strikes uh, a family, you know? I thought that was very interesting. It was yeah. a definitely a, a deep exploration of like, not only in India culture, but the experiences that a lot of people have. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Uh, all right, let's go to the top real quick. We can, like, just step through this. Um, I mean, f- from the beginning, we see, like, the uh, like the the climax point with, like, the kid in the road, whatever, and he foreshadows that. And then from there, it's, like, you know, the whole story of, like, I'm going to show you the real India. This is my story. How did I get to this point where I'm, like, this business guy or whatever? 
It's like from the jump, I'm like, all right, like when I see films like that, I'm kind of already skeptical. But I think they kind of sell this in quickly. Like there's a lot of early montages, and I think that's kind of what we're talking about with the whole like you get to see India's like lower class system when like, he's like a kid. He's, and like, he's in narrating classes. for us. Yeah, yeah, and like you like his dad dying. Like, that's pretty emotional in the hospital. That was crazy. Uh, so like they kind of speed through until he's like a teenager, right? It's like the first thing I kind of like. Um, I think you're skipping over importing things that took that took place that kind of forced who he was. So like he had to stop going to school because he had to stop mm-hmm. going to school when he was like in middle school. Large or it was a grade school, largely because like his family needed, needed him money. to provide, and it wasn't his father wanted him to do that. His grandmother pressured his father into telling him that he couldn't do it. Like the older brother already been doing it, and so now it was his turn to kind of support the family. Then his dad had had a slow death from a disease in which you know he went to a hospital and there was no doctor to take care of him. So it was like two days of him just dying. And then he gets to a point where he's a teenager. And so he's working very, very much in like not favorable conditions, which is very similar to a lot of what happens for a lot of those who are impoverished to, to continue to provide for his family. And then he's told that he will probably more than likely fall within the same trope of being married off to provide for the family. I never got the idea of marrying them off though. Like, do they get money from marrying them off? Like, I don't get it. It's just like, uh, like social norms. Mm, okay. Yeah, okay. but at this point, uh, we hear him give his like dialogue again about like, uh, like class. This is like the first time he mentions like the whole rooster, the rooster analogy. Mm-hmm. So he's basically saying that us in this lower class, uh, we're built with this servant mindset. It's no different than like roosters in the coop. So like they can see the other rooster getting their head cut off, they can smell the blood or whatever, but they do nothing to try to escape. Mm-hmm. They just like accept it and continue to like serve their masters. And this is mm-hmm. something that would stick with us throughout the entire film, as mm-hmm. he kind of like develops from this servant mindset mm-hmm. into like the boss who he becomes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like at this point too, he notices like the what's it called like the landlord. He's the guy that was like robbing the people, extorting mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Uh, his son is in town and he needs a driver so he's like destined to become like that driver mm-hmm. to like you know get his family out of this poverty or whatever mm-hmm. um, at this point this is when we meet like the actual family right and so what were your initial reactions or your initial like uh, how did you think of the son when you first met him I guess like what did you think we were like getting into I thought the son was going to be somebody we would really I would be appealed to like mm-hmm. he has even though he's Indian he's very much American so he has a very much American worldview of how you should treat people how you conduct business how you have relations with people who work for you coming into like moving making from New specifically New York City an American New York City worldview to India so I, I thought he would be one of our redeeming characters in regards to being somewhat of a saving grace um, for Balmar- Balmari's, I think that's his name, Balmari's Balram's character. That was my initial reaction for it. And then if if not him, I thought Pinky would be even more so. Because that's typically how they do that. They're like, 
in movies like that where it's like a, definitely a couple and then it's a protagonist, they largely make it to where the woman has the most redeeming qualities and she recognizes there's there's going to be some fucked up shit and she she, she treats, treats him like an individual. That's what I thought she was going to be. I thought they were both going to treat him like an individual and then it'd be a story where like the father and everybody else surrounds them kind of pressures them into treating them in regards to you know, traditional Indian customs. Mm-hmm. Um, and if anybody were skewed from that, I didn't think Pinky would, his wife. Those are that was my initial reaction from the both of them. Yeah, American, me too. American Indians. That's what they are. Like literally American Indian people. Cause you even noticed early on, he's kind of like this is he's kind of against how his father is like <laughs> treating Barama. Cause every time he sees him, or every time Barama says the wrong thing, his father like slaps him, or he has him rubbing oil on his legs. So he treats him like just like trash, bro. Treat him like I couldn't I can't say slaves, but like in some countries, that's how they would treat slaves. Exactly. Not exactly. servants. And then you see, like, like, like to your point, Pinky, which is like the the wife, or yeah, they're married. Yeah, she like uh, has an Indian family too, but she moved to New York when she was twelve. I guess is the story. Mm-hmm. She's very Western, Americanized, mm-hmm. and so like, I mean, like you, I had like hope. The moment that kind of turned was like the whole half baked thing. So like, Balram hears them. It's literally within a matter of a few minutes. So yeah, yeah within, that, oh. within the, I was gonna say within the first few minutes, like I think I had this layer of hope, and literally within like I think it's the next scene, it's shattered. Like, and that next scene is like a minute later, it's shattered after he pretty much says he's half baked because he didn't know anything about the internet. And how do you expect somebody to know about the internet when literally over half of its population is impoverished? Like this is a country where over half its population is impoverished. Well, that's to this point though, because I think the whole purpose of that was just to show how like there's people that care about like the lower class, like mm-hmm. like the sister and the brother, but only in a way as to serve themselves. Like his whole point with the whole half bait thing was he's about to invest in the internet because there's a whole world of ballrooms, the new India as he calls it, who are just now discovering what internet is, like all this stuff. So he sees Balram as like a means to an end. Or just mm-hmm. like what he represents, you know what I mean? A way to make more money. Mm-hmm. And so like we even see it again when like they're driving in the car and he like sees like a tree and he's like, What kind of holy tree is that? It's like they they don't see him as like an equal. They, they believe he and he has rights and that he's mm-hmm. treated poorly. Mm-hmm. But at that even with that, he's not he's not like me though. Like he can't, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's still less for him. So I think that's a real interesting uh take on like the world. So mm-hmm. Uh, we push forward another like I feel like important part is the um damn it I lost that uh, okay, we can, well do you have anything before the accident because I'm just gonna skip all the way through it in the interest of time uh uh I think also too that we didn't make note of was like once he was around the more and more he became around and became a servant to the like to their needs and to their disrespect and their abuse, he started being ashamed of himself. And that was very clear. He was starting to be growingly ashamed. And so in one scene, um, Pinky had pointed out like, she was like, you you gonna give me tea while also touching your pants. Like, yeah. you look a mess. And then she was like, your breath smells like pawn all the time. And so he, he had the next scene where he's like, why didn't my father ever teach me to take care of myself? Like, 
And just kind of like when you are given those conditions, like you're not focused on the the possibility of you being amongst other people who have a different norm of cleanliness and hygiene and so forth. Like that is the common experience that a lot of, like I said, this is a country where over half this population is impoverished. Over half this population has the experiences of like, it's really like a country where it's like, it's not really much hygiene is on like the highest totem pole, especially for the impoverished. So I think in his experience, once he had this expectation and these hopes with working for these individuals, and then soon his worldview of them shatters and then he's just constantly being in a situation where he's like being abused, disrespected. And he, and even though he's like, and it's in very much in his face that he's not respected and they don't have the same views for him as they have as he asked for them, like, he's like, you're my family, I respect, and they're like, no, we're not your family, stop, stop saying that to us, like, you're our employee, no, like, no, I'm not, gonna. and then, and then it's also just kind of like, I feel like it's a codependency thing, so, like, he becomes dependent on their desires and needs to feel fulfilled, and so when they, when they are not getting something from him, so, like, when he didn't give the right answer um, to the dude, when he didn't give the right uh, answer to Ashok about the internet, or he didn't, you know, carry himself in the right mate to Pinky when she did have a guest, it's like his, it shatters his esteem of himself. So it allows him to be, allows him to accept even more abuse and disrespect from them. That's what I wanted to note. No, it's definitely like that whole servant uh, mentality. And like, just to your point too, it just further highlights the whole like, <laughs> Uh, he can't even live like in the same quarters. Like they can't have like a room in the house to the side for him to stay in. Like the, the room, room that he has in is clearly the a dirty room that's in the basement. Like it's it's and then he shares the room with another servant. Like it's like a whole community of servants down there mm-hmm. living. <laughs> and like yeah, it, that was when he was great. in the house. He shared the room, and then then he goes yeah. to the hotel. He can't even have like a hotel room. Like they're literally in the basement of this hotel. Yeah, man. Even though, and it kind of shows you too, like with the other servant, like the other driver, how he kind of like, well, he didn't kind of, he connived his way into like getting him fired because he basically mm-hmm. write out that he was a Muslim. Mm-hmm. Like it shows like the whole cutthroat mentality just to get a trash job. Mm-hmm. That's how down bad they were, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, at this point, like things are looking up because he's kind of like just the main driver for the son who's a lot more like lenient with him. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more chill. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, we get to like the birthday, right? And so even up to this birthday, they had him wear that like costume, which is demeaning because mm-hmm. <laughs> they treat him like trash. But uh, the wife is drunk. They're having a good time. She decides to drive, and like, at this point, obviously things are off. Um, they they drop him off outside, like leave him alone in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, that was like a whole joke the, they were playing in the ghetto, <laughs> and then only to come back. Yeah. I started. I started to. I had already like started to dislike these characters, but this was like. I just, that was your last straw. <laughs> last straw. None of them had redeeming qualities after that. Bro, he just sat there wounded. I was like, yo. <laughs> but uh, he literally said, "What is a serpent without its master?" Yeah, bro. Like an animal. Like like he felt like an animal. Man. Like a like a like a dog. Like a like a domestic animal. Bro, so like when they hit that kid or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, how did you feel then? Because you already said you weren't liking them. Were you kind of like? <laughs> I knew some it. shit. I knew some shit was about to jump off, bro. I was like, "They gonna try to blame this on him." Man, and to that point, literally 
after all that went down, after Baron tried to console them and stuff like that, they gave him the complete short end of the stick. Like they literally call him up there and play on his ignorance and have him like sign this like confession. The thing is, he wasn't ignorant to the sense of what they were doing. He was ignorant to understand that he could have, he had options. Fight back. He could have been like, fuck no, I ain't sign this. You do it. You drove it. Like, literally, in that moment, he could have said, fuck no. You got me fucked. And there's nothing they could have done about it. But he could have also been like, fuck no, not for a price. Like, it has to be for a price. Then do that. He even literally said later, like, I didn't even ask for a price. Yeah. He literally came to the realization. But I think what was really holding him back was obviously the servant mindset. But also this like fear he had of retaliation to his family. Mm-hmm. He kept on having these visions of like his family talking to him, mm-hmm. and then what they would do. No, some of those were gruesome, bro. Like uh, when they like, had the brick and they're like beating his family's head in, mm-hmm. like stuff like that. I was like, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, but he that said point, that's how it is in that culture. When nah, they find nah. out serv- when servants don't fulfill the needs or desires or steal from the, that's why they try to find out where your family live. It's very, yeah, he it's said very that like cutthroat gangish. That's what it feels like. It was kind of crazy too how they showed those images and like that all started off with like his father when they showed his like him in, in the fire and his feet were like burning. I was like, yo, they're kind of showing a lot, aren't they? They like yeah. show a lot without showing a lot. It was like, all right, yeah, that that scene with the feet, I felt like I was gonna faint like his character because that was a lot to digest. That was gruesome, dude. But uh, so you like they gruesome? have him gruesome, gruesome. Okay, relax. But uh, after he signs the confession, that's like the first time when like light bulbs start to open up and are starting to come on in his head. Mm-hmm. So he goes to the elevator, and this is the first time we've seen like pure rage mm-hmm. from Balram. He's like yelling. Mm-hmm. He goes down in the courtroom. He like like kneels down in that patch of grass, which mm-hmm. that was a super dope shot, by the way. That aerial, mm-hmm. like bird's eye view. Mm-hmm. It's like from that point on, like these little things start to happen as he starts to like change. Like, mm-hmm. um, and I kind of feel like it all leads up to the point where like, like he's like massaging in the master's leg. And like they get in an argument, and then like the girlfriend comes in, and they're like all arguing about something, and then like he kicks Balram. Right? No, 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 they're not arguing about something. Lily Balram is still thinking that he's about to go to jail. For yeah, party. yeah. She tells him he's and she's free. Like, did y'all tell him? And they're like, no. Cause like, she's like, they, nobody saw anything, so you're okay. You're quote unquote free. And he just. <laughs> He breaks down, and in his moment of vulnerability from breaking down, his master kicks him. Because I guess he was crying too close to his knee. (laughs) Kiss him in the chest, and I'm just like, and that that was the final straw for Pinky. She's like, this family is fucked up, like Mm -hmm. fucked up. And I'm gonna be honest, bro. I don't think Pinky really wanted him to take the fall for it. I don't. I can see where she was. I can see where her husband, Ashok, or whatever his name, had convinced her to, like, just do this. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it it won't really affect him. We'll take care of his family. I can see where she only agreed to it from the pressures of their family. Because she was already very much like, we need to call the police. We need to go to the hospital immediately and still after the accident. She was in to, shock too. Yes, and but to then to see that them do him like that after he was willing to sacrifice his freedom. Oh hell no! She's like, nah, it's time to go. Time to go. <laughs> after she leaves, the husband's a complete wreck, and I think oh. that's the time we see, because like Laurent has the whole thing about like 
him coming back to help his master, mm-hmm. how that's not normal. And even his master was like, why did you come back and help me, right? Mm-hmm. At first, when I first saw that, I was like, oh, dang, Maram was just like a super good dude. Mm-hmm. But this is also the time we start to see like the whole like conniving side mm-hmm. of him start to come to life. Mm-hmm. Uh, at this point, I mean, I'm like, what are you thinking? Are you thinking he's about to really? Oh, for me, okay, I'm not gonna lie. So when he, when her husband finds out that she's left, he starts like beating on Balram. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, when he finally fights, like says, fuck no, like fights back, mm-hmm. get your hands off me, pushes his master. We see a crow. Did you see the crow mm-hmm. on the patio? And I was wondering, is like, what does that mean? Because like, crows in a in crows have a lot of different meanings uh a lot of times it's like they're like this eye they're like this eye of transformation so if you know crows symbolize transformation and change and so this is when we're officially seeing that baram is officially like you said like fully accepting of him being this cunning person or manipulative person to his master in order to put him in a better position than he was before. Cause he feels like he's already made a sacrifice pretty much making that confession. And they have that confession on him forever. So he pretty much feels like he's already make it, made a sacrifice. Now, now he should be able to live in luxury in a sense. And we're like, he should have a good relationship with his master. He serves his master and we're, we're good from there. But then we also see a full on transformation from, his master as well, where his master goes from like this semi-decent to this decent person to semi-decent person to like all around dick. <laughs> uh, he definitely does. He definitely does. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, that kind of just justifies why Balram is like, all right, man, I got, I got a scheme on this dude. And he from that like point on... scheming Because even then he... Even after that situation, like and his master was like going through the the roughs. He was still there trying to get his master, quote unquote, his employer, back on his feet mentally and emotionally and all that. It wasn't until he realized, man, I literally just sacrificed possibly my freedom for them. Then I just helped him get his shit together mentally, emotionally. He's still treating me like shit. Okay, it's time. It's if it's officially time for me to just start thinking about myself. Yeah, I think too is like when he gave him the money to go back home, mm-hmm. he won't give him like enough for a one way ticket. Mm-hmm. It's just like you can see he's starting to add up like what his worth is. Like he started to really comment on money every single mm-hmm. time now. Mm-hmm. Whereas like in the beginning, remember he was like literally like, Oh no, you can just pay me half of that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he's starting to really put things together. And that's like he's understanding his value to them. And he did have a lot of value to them. And so that also also <laughs> that was like I think you you have to be mindful of the language that he does use with the money. So, like in every situation, like it's very much he owes me more. Where I just borrowed it, the bar- and when he took the money at the end, I borrowed it. Or like he <laughs> owes me more. I'm deserving of more. Like the language is like. And before he was just gracious to be in their presence, too gracious to be serving them. But when he realized he was withstanding all this abuse and he had made so many sacrifices, not only with his family but the other people who surrounded him, he was like, "No, I deserve way more than this." Way more. This is this is just a this is a penny in what they got, especially if they're out here bribing politicians so they don't have to pay taxes. Nah, man. Like when they bribed the uh, queen of socialism, which she was kind of dope. Uh, she stood up to them, but she tried, yeah. <laughs> they tried to buy, bri- They tried to bribe her with something way less, and she was just like, "Y'all are not having to pay like four like four million rupees 
in taxes. No, because they were paying for her to lose. They were like buying off her uh, opposition. And then but she this is won. Before this stuff pop off. This is before this stuff pop off. She's like, y'all are really not having to pay like a hundred thousand mm. whatever in rupees. Y'all should be giving me at least half of that. So you at least got a 50% discount. Like, no, no. And they was like, they wasn't even trying to do that. So they literally went and bought, bribed everybody else, the prime minister and so forth. Yeah. And she still wins. And then they're like, we want to offer you 1 million rupees. She said, after you, homeboy was like, <laughs> after you try to buy out the opposition, nah, 4 million. That's when we no, like, sure. that's when we, I think we even see Balmar's character realize like, damn, I am, shit, she's from my situation. Like she was impoverished. She built herself up the caste system and became the politician for her her people for people like him so he's like if she's out here you know like you need to give me four million he like man i need to be out here checking them too and i'm making way more of a sacrifice than she's probably done for their family at least they even said like she's like the symbol that you know they all look up to her posters everywhere that's why he was so shook when he saw her like she was in the beginning like he was she was the inspiration in the beginning getting out of the coop i think she's like the example of being able to get out the coop system. That's what he became. Uh so yeah, so like he's basically like plotting on the bag. So he shows like a montage everywhere that the master goes. Even to that point too, like the first time he saw the bag, like <laughs> he started counting the money. He was like, I'm worth way more than this. Mm-hmm. So I even like looked like he was kind of waiting for the bag to get more to mm-hmm. fill up more after a couple of transactions. But anyways, mm-hmm. he's plotting on that. And that kind of culminates to the point where he's like, all right, it's time to really go ahead and make my move mm-hmm. uh mind you his cousin his nephew has come in town he's like staying with him and stuff mm-hmm. and so it's like a lot and going his grandma, on his grandma's pretty much like if you don't start sending money back then we gonna i'm gonna I'm send your arranged wife up there and i'm gonna really tell your master <laughs> what's the deal like, so there's a lot of motivating I factors for balron <laughs> it really threw me off when he hit his nephew i was like damn he hit his nephew damn <laughs> I didn't know uh, if I honestly I started like I really liked Paul Rom's character but like it he really, started to turn for you <laughs> he st- started to turn for me when he he even said that he when he was telling narrating the story he said that he wished he can do this part over was when he manipulated the Muslims uh the servant one driver one out of his job position I was like I don't really like him I that was early on yeah, but, but nah, that's dude. your first scene where he's that entrepreneur mindset by any means. Nah, that's just that's just I feel like just like uh, uh eat, eat or be eaten, like you know I'm what I'm saying. saying? The entrepreneur mindset. If you're not, if you uh don't know what's on the menu, you on the menu, you know? <laughs> yeah, but uh, what were you thinking when he killed like the dude with the with the bottle, dude? I was like, all right. <laughs> I was like, at all objects, the bottle. Well, he didn't plan this out very well. <laughs> he definitely didn't. He definitely didn't. But also, I feel like it had a little success. Anti- it felt anti-climatic. Like it yeah. Felt, it felt very lackluster. Like, we were building up to this moment only for it to be like... Hmm, and then from that point on, it kind of just wraps up with a bunch of like montages of how he spends his money. I mean, it's at the end now, at that point, honestly. It's so like the rest of it. <laughs> It's kind of neither here nor there. And to be honest with you, leading up to that point, there is definitely a lot of like fluff, I would say. Mm-hmm. And just kind of wrap things up. I think my biggest criticism would be just like how much fluff there is. And then like all that fluff for us to get to that climax and then it just to be like a, 
real neat tie up with him buying the taxi business with the money and all this other stuff. It's like, all right, dude. But I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Huh? It, was, it was cool. If, if you want a movie that maybe pissed you off most of the movie because you're trying to like rise up, then yeah, this is your movie. But was, rise up. <laughs> it was very long and I was just like, it was hard to digest this sense of like somebody withstanding that level of abuse for so long. But that happens all the time, and shit, and not in Indian India alone. That happens all the time. So it was just a lot. But that concludes our "Are You Still Watching?" segment. We're gonna wrap up our episode with our final segment today, and that is in the queue. These are a couple. This is a show and movie that you should probably add to your list because it's definitely worth the watch. We got Vikings. If you don't know what Vikings is, Viking is a show that is a historical fiction show that takes place on Amazon Prime. I'll give you a little bit of a synopsis of the series is Viking Ragnar Lothbrok is a young farmer and family man who is frustrated by the policies of Earl Haraldson, his local chieftain, who sends his Viking raiders east to the Baltic states of Russia, whose residents are as poor as Norsemen. Ragnar wants to head west across the ocean to discover new civilizations with the assistance of his friend Flokli. Ragnar builds a faster sleeker jet and so forth as he explores the west with as he is also the d- direct descendant of the god Odin. This uh, show has currently six seasons. Um, here's this final season. I think six seasons is the final season. Dope as fuck. Um, I love, I really like the show. Um, I'm only on, I'm wrapping up the first season right now. I think I got like an episode left in the first season. Um, I'm really, after the Game of Thrones, I was like, I need another show that's kind of like within the kind of like dynasties and kingdoms and like myth mythological elements in it and i feel like vikings is a show that's very much doing that in regards to some of the actors in it um one well-known actress she's played in a few things she plays uh her name is siggy not siggy her name is jail jailson jailson gislig she's also an actress plays in a number of things then you got donald luke he's playing in a bunch of things um and travis film Film now so many names. Oh my jeez. Oh my gosh. Anywho, the show was pretty great. Um, it kind of threw me off. I'm not gonna lie. When they started talking about Oz, like Odin, uh, Athelia, Loki, Thor, and I was like, what? And I didn't realize that was like a really a thing that a lot of like northern or Nordic, you know, countries and ethnicities have believed in for such a long time was the idea of Odin and Floki and Thor, those gods. And I was that's, like, what that's, the, that's what the uh, the Marvel stuff's based on, man. See, I didn't know that. Like, the story of Thor, I can be very honest to say, like, I had no idea about really, not a, no idea, but I wasn't one of those people who followed the story of Thor too much. I'll say that. Mm. So that was very nice to watch. And so when they're talking about Pahala and Odin and Thor, I can't help but to think of Thor and Floki, like Marvel's like images of these people. So like Chris Hemsworth as Thor, I can't help but think of them. So I like the show. I enjoyed the show. What's your perspective on the show, Shock? No, it's definitely a, a pretty interesting show. Um I feel like uh it moves pretty fast. So it has a good pace. It's not like it doesn't drag, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like Game of Thrones dragged a little bit in the beginning. I think Game of Thrones is different from the aspect of like the dialogue and the overall like plot and like uh like 
I want to say like magical nature of like showing your hand but not revealing like what you have going on. It's way more secretive. Game of Thrones is a lot. It's a Game of Thrones, you know. So this show is like Game of Thrones. If it, you take away all the mysterious like conniving aspects, it made it way more straightforward. And it's like we need more territory. Mm-hmm. Let's go get more territory. This guy's in my way. <laughs> Eventually, I'm gonna have to fight this guy to go get what I want. So it's way more like cut and dry. So. Yeah, but it's definitely inter- inter- entertaining. It's definitely interesting. I'm gonna continue to watch. Me too. Uh, I feel like if it's really good and we're in like season four or five, mm-hmm. maybe we'll do some more about it. We might actually do something in like depth. some breakdowns or some Easter eggs. Like I actually really enjoy it, and I I spent like most of yesterday watching like at least over half of the first season. So that's why I'm so far along. But. Moving along, we got Sightless that should be added into your queue. Netflix had added a film from 2020 starting starring Madeline Pichette. The movie Sightless is a 2020 American psychological thriller written and directed by Cooper Carl based on his 2017 short film of the same name. The plot is Ellen, a former violinist, is cared for daily by her nurse Clayton after she is the victim of a ruthless attack that leaves her blind. Um, she's forced to adjust to this new life without sight, but starts to notice some abnormalities into her environment, but she's unable to pinpoint what the abnormalities are coming from, who could be at, at the cause of these abnormalities, and so forth. Um, fairly interesting movie. Um, it's not the greatest movie of all time. I'm not gonna lie, there's gonna be some moments where you'll be like, what the fuck? Is this believable? But I think it's still worth a watch if you want something like a quick little... Uh, like psychological thriller or like a thriller to keep you engaged while you're doing some other things or maybe you just want to you know need something to get off you know de-stress with sightless is this movie i feel like there was an opportunity for it to be better but you should definitely watch it did you watch it shaka no (laughs) absolutely not (laughs) what did i tell y'all he don't watch thrillers horrors none of that so i I don't even know why it has to be of an exceptional level (laughs) i know why you can't even say that because you still have yet to see midsummer or hereditary and those are movies of an exceptional level from your favorite one of your favorite production companies and you have yet to see them and they came out years ago Look, I can't see everything. I'm one man. Sure. I know it feels like I'm amazing. I can be at all places at once. You, you but... <laughs> pick and choose what you want to see, but that's neither here or there. But that concludes our our segment of In the Queue um, that also completes our episode 17 of the Real Film Podcast. We thank you all for joining us. If you have not done so already, please be sure to follow us on YouTube at The Rise Network. Follow us for those full-length episodes and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you want some shorter segments, subscribe to our Real Film Pod YouTube. Follow us on the socials at The Real Film Pod. Like our Facebook page. Leave a comment. Like our videos. If you have some suggestions, leave a comment. Shoot a DM. Leave a banner in the sky. Um, we're always happy to take on, take on your suggestions and integrate it in our new episodes of the shows. My name is Anasi Tajay. And I'm Shaka Bimbo. Shock B94 on Twitter. Of course, you know how to do the shout out. Uh, follow us at the league, NBA pod, big things happening. Shout out that boy Goat Mahomes. Chiefs about to bring his Super Bowl home. Shout out my boy Thomas Tuchel. I'm sorry, All Frank, right. you had to get oh, fired. Right. Chelsea FC. For those of you still listening, you guys can you know what it is. <laughs> in, the, in the podcast. But yeah, follow me on the socials at Honestly the Visionary on Twitter. Shout out that boy Rick and Ross. TikTok. They, they, they trying to knock Bye. you for colorism. Thank you guys so much. Bye.